This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Phil Hodgkinson, and you're listening to. And he takes that to the right of the fairytale season! That's the happiest ending! Welcome to episode 46 of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. As the country celebrates bonfire night, Carl and Grant was once again on fire as he unleashed his own rocket in our last ever visit to Griffin Park. We'll discuss town going seven, that's brackets S-E-V-E-N, close brackets, games unbeaten as we build up to a visit to Deepdale on Saturday. Joining me, Matt, uh, is not someone who... <laughs> joining me, Matt, who hopefully won't be burning the Roman candle at both ends trying to edit this episode this evening... Uh, is not the Catherine Wheel of Danger Detection, Neil Wayne. I'm afraid he's away with a cold, so get well soon, uh, our friend. Uh, along, Well, not alongside him is a, a fountain of research. It's uh, Simon Copland. How are you doing, Simon? Evening, Matt. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. And thanks to our new equipment purchased for us by our Spelter Magic Rock Brewing, we are able to bring in our very own Spanish ground spinner live from the Cosi del Sol. It's Richard Cosmala. Hola, buenas tardes, que tal? How are you doing? How are you doing? Whereabouts are you, Cosy, and what are you up to right now? (laughs) Well, anyone who obviously follows me on social media, I'm just on a mad tour of Spain before reality hits me and I get a job probably in uh, December. But yeah, I'm in Barcelona at the moment. Uh, Went to the game last night, but obviously a bit of a come down after watching uh, Town at Brentford. yeah, uh, Girona on Friday, Seville Derby on Sunday, Barcelona again on Saturday. It's on and on, but it's all taking a back seat to uh, Uddersfield Town. And thanks to the uh, the joy of I follow, I managed to watch all the games and that as well, which I think is, uh, is brilliant, really. And I think if you're an expat, I'm kind of appreciating it a little bit now. I'm kind of a, an expat at the moment, just a little bit more. But you really feel the connection still with it. You, you can watch the games, you can listen to all game, Matt Glennon's commentary and Obviously, at the moment, you know, it's just sensational. Seven, uh, seven way out of defeat. Incredible. And, uh, yeah, long may it continue. And Saturday, you've just got this mad man. I mean, the, the Seville game uh, kicked off at uh, 30 minutes after the town game finished. And there's me in the bar just waiting, 
desperately for the referee to blow his whistle, bashing on the table uncontrollably. And when the ref blew his whistle, people must thought I was on another planet. But you can uh, can't take the passion away, can you? This field town through and through. So uh, no matter yeah, where you what, are, uh, no matter where you are. So thanks for joining us all the way from Barcelona. Um, I'm sure we've got a topic with you on it in a minute, and we'll probably rename that to Barcelona. So I'll get that one in before I I forget that. So. Uh, another thank you to our main sponsor, Magic Rock Brewing. We're sat here using new equipment purchased for us by them. So if you've never been to Magic Rock, I, I personally think you should do. It's a perfect place for a pre-match pint and something to eat. The food wagons there are excellent. Take it from a, an overweight guy that the food there is good. Uh, and who knows, maybe you'll bump into one of us if you come down uh, pre-match. Uh, we'll talk about Brentford nil, Huddersfield Town 1. Uh, first of all, I think it's only right that we give our Spanish amigo a, a right to reply because he did a little section for the Brentford programme and he was he was fawning over Adama Diacabi calling him a superb player and it, it seems to me, Cosy, that the Brentford programme have taken a bit of liberty with your words and uh, embellished a bit. Ha! Totally misquoted. Uh, I know how they feel now in uh, you know, celebrities and things like that. So I'll, uh, I think what... You probably know better than me, Matt, but I think Damadeus Cabbage described as, did, did they put a brilliant player or something like that as well? Superb. I yeah, think yeah. what I was trying to say was, go on, sorry. Superb player, I think it said, didn't it? Yeah. Saying, he's not I, bad, but all right, it, it, basically, was, uh, it wasn't what you'd said, was it? No, all that. I think what I was trying to say is, can you never know what's going to happen? And I don't know, I think roughly translated, that means uh, he's an exciting player as well, but... Uh, to be honest, if it gets us a 1-0 win at Brentford every week, then, uh, yeah, just make up some more uh, live uh, Brentford programme editor. Fantastic. Right, so we'll get stuck into Brentford nil, Huddersfield Town 1. Uh, Town getting a little bit of stick from some Brentford fans on uh, on social media over the weekend for having four shots on on goal. But all genuine chances. Callum Grant had a great shot saved first half by uh, Raya, the goalkeeper. Uh, uh, Trevor Chaloba had a, a shot second half, which... Uh, from the edge of the box, which went high, wide, and not too handsome. Diacabi kind of shanked one in front of goal. Should have put the game to bed, really, there. I think Diacabi for me. Uh, yeah. Kind of going 2 0 up, kind of what with probably five, ten minutes to go, maybe at that point. Absolutely. And Callan kind of Grant. Much more, uh, much more easier kind of finish to the game for all town fans. And Callan Grant with the goal. So Brentford actually didn't have a shot in the box all game, despite uh, their, uh, their uh, commentary uh, sort of describing it as a, a bit of a one-sided game against a load of northern cloggers, which was quite funny because the, the header from Jeanvi actually came off Elphick uh, rather than the Brentford player. So good save from Grabara though. And Town, Simon, looking rather solid at the back as well with a really good good game plan which was executed uh, on Saturday. Yeah, it felt for me like a bit of a continuation of what we've seen in recent weeks, that kind of solidity that we all expected at the start of the season but, but wasn't there, now is there. And... Um, then just kind of sets you a really good platform where you hope you can hit on the counter-attack. And it was really kind of um, pleasing to watch, obviously, as a town fan, to see that kind of um, resolute kind of backbone to the team um, kind of really kind of meant we could uh, go on and take three points from the game. I must say that I think kind of obviously credit to the Cowleys for the, for the way they set up the team and um, that kind of high press. From reading kind of quotes afterwards, it felt like he gave a team two options, um, kind of how they wanted to play and, and the kind of players seemed to want to go with a high press option, they bought into that idea and they certainly executed it very, very well. Kind of Lewis O'Brien, Fraser Campbell particularly, I think kind of worth mentioning. I think Danny himself mentioned those in his post match comments. The kind of the way they laid that platform and kind of went after the Brentford uh, Brentford bat line was uh, was really good to watch. Uh Christopher Schindler got in the EFL team of the week as well, which again proves 
that the sexy German is back. Uh, once more, you got in the whoscored.com uh, team of the month for October as well, which was great. So Christopher Schindler, uh, it's no doubt that he is, he is back to form, which is fantastic. And a man that's coming back to form as well, uh, who had a superb game on Saturday in front of the back four, is Jonathan Hogg. Uh, what did you make of the game and following it on iFlower? I follow because I'm doing a little bit of false advertising for iFlower there, but you, follow, you followed the game over in, in Spain. Uh, how did it come across with uh, town commentary? Because me, uh, uh, me and Simon had the, uh, the commentary of uh, Brentford, so that wasn't too complimentary. So how, would you, how did you find the commentary from uh, a Huddersfield perspective? I thought we deserved to win, Matt. I can't. Some of the salt that's coming out from the Brentford uh, guys. I think you're supposed to put it into context. They've just come off the back of it, a, a big win uh, at QPR, their local rivals on Monday, live on Sky. They were full of it. And I think it was four wins in a row. They, they were kind of flying up the table. And I think they just, uh, you know, got a bit... They probably thought, yeah, Cowley's turned it around a little bit, but we should win at home. And I thought we were fully deserved of the winning. We played that, you know, it was probably going to be one chance for, you know, for either side as well. And I think the first half, I thought we gave as good as we got, but... What I, I really impressed with the second half. I, I thought Brentford will, will come out a bit more, but Huddersfield, I just thought, took the game you know, by the scruff of the neck and that's well. And we looked so solid as well, which is incredible to say, you know, only a couple of months ago we were, you know, just conceding goals left, right and centre and then get another clean sheet. It's incredible. And uh, I thought we fully deserved the win. Obviously, you had the Bayern's Brentford commentary. We had, uh, sorry, I had Oggy and Matt and anyone else who You're listened to it on Radio Leeds and... Uh, I thought we were fully deserved of the victory, and I do think that you know people look at league tables, and but in the championship you don't do it. Look at the form table. You know, I know there's been a lot of town fans putting it out just for a bit of banter at the moment, because obviously we're at the top of it. But do your own work. Put a silver in good form, and uh, I thought we came down there, we did a job. We've got a man on fire, Callum Grant, which obviously we'll talk about later, and uh, fully deserved three points. And uh, I thought, you know, to be fair, that you know, the, the po- bit I did with the Beast sort of podcast, I listened to the uh, kind of aftermatch today, and uh, there were a lot of Brentford fans, to be fair, that kind of said it, that, you know, they maybe deserved a draw, but they couldn't deny us the win because we looked much improved, much solid, and I thought we totally deserved the three points, guys, and uh, I'm really proud of the team because I just thought this was our biggest win, in my opinion, since the Wolves uh, away game when, uh, obviously, Alan Moy had that great day, and that, and that, you know, we're nearly talking a year. For me, this was against a team who were on fire and we come there. We, did, we didn't do like fluke as draw, well, you know, and then lots been made of our time wasting, which thinks sour grapes, really. thought we did a great job on them. Got the man in form. I'm really proud of the team. To me, we're a massive step forward on Saturday and obviously the three points, very welcome. I think what's interesting for me, Cos, is you've spoken on this podcast quite a few times in the past around how it's a team you can't relate to, how it's a team you don't necessarily have any association with. And quite quickly under the Cowers, that's now come back, the kind of Huddersfield Town kind of academy players in there, kind of players who kind of, you see, kind of almost willing to do well. And Matt obviously mentions Johnny Hogg, he was kind of really at the front of that. And I don't know if you saw Cosy or and the guys listening to this podcast, his interview with um, HTFC kind of after the game. Yeah, it was brilliant, yeah. Uh, which was kind of done in front of the crowds and obviously really quite emotional at that time. But he spoke about how he's enjoying his football again and um, how kind of proud he was of the players. And it was just kind of really, really... Um, almost moving to see actually given where we've we've come from in the last kind of two, three months to kind of see where kind of him as an individual is at now but also the team with the wave in front of the crowds it was um, it was kind of a real kind of step on kind of suddenly yeah, found myself kind of I, relating to these players once again I think the thing is Simon it felt like to me I saw that it felt like maybe you've been a bit wounded obviously with the crit there's been a lot of criticism of Johnny Ogg flying about and uh, 
he felt like to me that he's obviously kind of heard some of it and that as well. And there's no doubt about it. In the last uh, couple of games, I think we've seen kind of Johnny O getting back to some, you know, what we know he can do in that as well. And the guy is, you know, he's obviously he's not an homegrown other still guy, but he, he, I think he's enjoying as well, kind of bringing on Lewis O'Brien as well. It's almost like obviously we nickname him the general, but it's almost like he's bringing Lewis O'Brien through with him and that as well. And uh, the best thing, he just to me, the, the, the team looks so solid and. Obviously, we'll talk about the, the tactics later. That I didn't feel it was that much time wasting, to be honest with you. Uh, you know that the Brentford guys were making out, but we looked a proper unit. Something I can associate with, like you said uh, there, Simon. You know, I, I couldn't associate with the town team six, eight weeks ago, but now, you know, these guys putting foot in, these guys giving absolutely everything for the shirt, and uh, it's exactly what we want to see in that as well. I thought we were fully deserved the three points, and again, to me, with our biggest win, like I mentioned before, for. A, you know, for quite some time in that as well. And uh, it makes me excited, really, because I don't think anyone would want to play us at the moment playing like this. And we've got some big games coming up. Obviously, people talked about the next six games, and this was one of them, you know. And uh, I would kind of fear him maybe playing Leeds in a few weeks. But now I'm thinking, bring it on, bring anyone on, really. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, just to come back on, on Hog for one second, I think under perhaps Siva and, and kind of previous regimes, he was being asked to do a role he wasn't familiar with or he wasn't confident in, but the Cowlers have identified his strength and that is sitting in front of the back four and breaking up play and starting counter-attacks, etc., etc. And and that's what they've got him doing. They've got him doing back to his basics, what he's familiar with, what he's kind of almost built a career on. He's not kind of playing on the left-hand side or the right-hand side. He's not having to run as much. And, and I think kind of playing to his strengths is now kind of seemingly bringing the team strengths back together as well. And it's really interesting that the kind of two seem to coincide for me. I'll, I'll jump in as well there. Uh, we, we talk about tactics and town switched a little bit from that 4-3-3 uh, on Saturday. So Lewis O'Brien went to more of a 10 role, uh, a little bit more advanced so he could press the press the front line a bit more because Brentford obviously play out from the back. So Jonathan Hogg went more to his traditional uh, number six in a 4-2-3-1 and I think that really helped him as well. He was he was really good and he, like you say, Simon, in front of that back four, he was winning the ball, giving it easy and that's what Jonathan Hogg does best. And, you know, it's, it, every now and then he does hit a 40-50 yard crossfield ball which is absolutely on point and you think oh yeah Huggy can pass and then he'll shank one out of touch from a throw in and then have a go at someone won't he but he's um, someone else's fault yeah he, but he's, he's definitely back on form and it's, it's really great to see and I think what we should do next uh, Cosy is uh, you've had a a message from Billy Grant Billy Grant's a, a top man isn't he Billy the Bee who does besotted.com uh, and they also do a, a Pride of West London podcast as well so I think what we'll do is we'll play uh, an excerpt from from the podcast, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll discuss it afterwards. So I'll bring that one in right now. I'm going to say, and I'm going to come to the, to the savvy B in, in just a minute because it's just on this point still as well. Um, and I've got to come to the to to their managers or you know the Cowley brothers who've been sort of uh, put into place probably six weeks beforehand as well. I mean Huddersfield were terrible at the part of the, uh, the start of the season. Um, the Cowley brothers are known for playing a particular style of football, but obviously they're known for actually varying that up a little bit. And they've come to Huddersfield and they've actually put them on a decent track. Obviously they've done very well. Now interestingly, after the match, they were very proud of what they've done. I mean Danny Cowley said we set to outrun outwork and outfight what was a very good Brentford team. And I think we were able to do that. We knew that they were a very good moment and that they played in a particular way we had to disrupt their rhythm and fluency. And they said the team decided, it wasn't just me, it was the team, we had to press them really aggressively and uh, we jumped Lewis O'Brien up, pressed them and Fraser Campbell and Brentford were never able to get into passing patterns and we were able to unsettle them. So basically that was their plan from day one. Um, people would say that, in effect, the Cowleys 
have outthought you in that game. Would you agree with that? It's so easy afterwards uh, to say that uh, <laughs> because if you look at how many shots did they had at target, two, I think uh, they had four shots in in the whole game. I think what's it, what's even more important is, and it's the f- it's the figures that you use as well. I mean, we we look at it as well as well. The XG where um, their XG was zero point two four, ours was zero point five seven. So we had slightly better chances than they did. It wasn't great for Brentford, but um, they obviously took the chance that they had. But exactly. that was their game. Yeah, but I think it's down to a marginal game. It's it's like it's margin. So so I would I would hundred percent I'll give uh, the. Um, the Cowley brothers and Huddersfield, all the praise they deserve because they had a good plan and, and, and they did it well. But there's no secret in football that the most easiest part in football is to organise a team defensively and do that very well. And that's the easiest part to sit back and don't want to do anything and just wait and take no risk. But if everybody is doing that in the world, it's going to be a very, very boring game to watch for everybody. So, But it's again, we will gladly sit down sometimes and we did that against Swansea a little bit lower and then try to hit them on the counters uh, so I understand that especially when you take over a team that you know are struggling the first thing you should do is to fi- uh, organize the defense and do and they did fantastic from there so it's just we believe in in, in try to create the game and that's just uh, so much more difficult and and the very important thing is we didn't do it well enough we just you know showing clips so we showed for example, four or five clips where we played around and produced crosses and we created some dangerous situations. And then we showed three or, clips, three or four clips where we played through the middle and just direct into their pressure and their plan instead of go around them. And then we showed again when we played around them and created opportunities. And, you know, in a game like that, you, you, on another day, it should have been nil-nil. 100% nil-nil. And it should have been nil-nil against Nottingham Forest. Then it have been un- unbeaten in, in eight games. And there will be four or five top performers in there. And there is no team in the world, not even Manchester City or Liverpool, that just, you know, open teams up and for fun. I know they do it better, uh, but, but that's the bit we need to work on. To do it even better, run more behind, uh, be more clever and how we do it in, on the ball. And remember, we're still a quite new side together. I think it's quite interesting what the Cowley brothers said about, you know, the players have decided that you have to go out there, they have to fight. And also Thomas said that uh, the referee wasn't very good. And that, that was my frustration. The referee, there were some really bad tackles from Huddersfield in the first half. And I think, and I said, I was saying to the people around me, if he books them, they'll stop doing it. But they just carried on doing it and they carried on doing it. And he didn't book anyone until the second half. And there some, and they got five bookings. Yeah, yeah. And all in the second half, they all, all quite late on and all sort of dotted around the team. Whereas if he started to book, and as you were saying, there was time wasting really early on as well. And he should have just booked them. And then they stopped time wasting. The, the referee, I think, hold, you know, holds a lot of, um, you know, responsibility for that game. That you know, he just didn't put his foot down early on. He just let them ride ride over us and play a, a really quite horrible game. We, we've seen that a lot in this championship, where um, clubs rotate their bookings. Like Middlesbrough were famous for it, three or four. Okay, so we'll. Uh end that uh, that bit there Cosy so you were asked to play that so I think the guy from the last 45 seconds is is way off the mark to be honest uh, they go on to talk Sounds about very bitter <laughs> they go on to talk about northern cloggy football and shithousing which is which is lovely but if you want to listen to the rest of that that's Thomas Frank in the pub with them which is great <clears throat> uh, Billy Grant who does the the podcast is, uh, is a good guy really good to listen to uh, if you want to listen to that you can go to besotted.com uh, or look at the Pride of West London uh, podcast as well if you wanted to to go for that. And afterwards, there is some quite good discussion in there as well. Um, so aside from our dark arts, 
that we've got going on there. Um, I, to be honest with you, they, they go on about that, but I think the worst moment of the game was in the first half where the ball went forward to Ollie Watkins and Schindler came across and there was a coming together. It's not, nothing serious, uh, you know, sort of between the thighs and then Ollie Watkins goes down holding his face. The, re- the replay showed that Schindler's arm was about five foot away from him. Ollie Watkins goes down holding his face, asking for a yellow card. For me, that was the biggest shithouse moment of the entire game, but they seem to seem to want to gloss over that. Um, what, what do you reckon to that then, Cosy? Interesting uh, theory, getting the manager in the pub? To be honest, the guys, I thought you talked, you know, I couldn't argue with a lot that he said and that. So there's one thing that does continue to shock me week in, week out, and I just don't know whether it's just the Premier League's different. I, I, I am shocked how lenient the, the championship referees are. And I just don't, I can't get it out of my head whether it's, two years of us being in the Premier League has programmed me differently or is this it? Because I can sympathise with quite a bit. There's, there's a lot of things when I've seen this season and Saturday was the same again when I thought that's a card all day long like in Liverpool he just kind of lets it go on and to me it makes for a better game because it's just kind of like you know get you know play on and, and you've seen those those crunching tackles that we like to see in football but honestly obviously I see a lot on Spain at the moment but anything like anywhere near is just like yellow and a red and uh I, I, it just surprises me a little bit that they expected us. It almost feels like they expected us to come with a kind of an open game plan. And because the bit, the interview that, because I've listened to it all and probably you guys have, and that's well, but the bit that kind of the manager mentioned, we don't want to play like them. He was, he was almost like kind of saying, you know, we want to entertain our fans. But I just thought, needs most. You're not going to go to Brentford Iron and, you know, like bomb forward. We're on this great road. We're always going to keep it tight. We've, you know, we've built, it's not being pretty, let's be honest. And, you know, we've, we've ground out results. We've, you know, things are on the improve. We were never going to do anything different. So what did they expect? And it was always going to be who gets the first goal. There's no doubt that I thought that if they got the first goal, they'd probably go on one, eight, one or two nil. But we got the first goal and then we're always going to do that. And I just think it's Billy. I know Neil's touched it in the last couple of weeks when I've been listening to, to the podcast. But isn't it great that Oracle Town side's been like kind of frowned upon, you know, for this shit house, shit that so-called and, you know, the time wasting and the, you know, this, that and the other and that. So it's brilliant because I just thought for so many, for so long, for a year, 18 months, we've been too weak. We've been powder puff. We've, you know, we've set up, you know, everything else, and, you know, and that as well. And we, we've just kind of, you know, been just rolled over and died and that as well. It's brilliant to see this and that as well. I'm loving it that teams are, you know, getting mad. We haven't got the quality. Brentford have, you know, got better players than us. In my opinion, at the moment, they're at home. They're on a, a big run. What did they expect us to do? And uh, yeah, to be honest, I can't, I can't argue with much that he says and that as well. And he say the kind of the, you know the guys were saying they maybe they're better on the counter attack. And I think Huddersfield Town are, are better, you know, on the counter attack. I think dictating a game that's the next step in our development. I'm, I'm yet to see that. To be honest with you, we ground it out against Barnsley, you know, by somehow really. But you know, that's the next step really when we can control a game. But you know, yeah, the game plan, set it tight, don't, you know, give him any space. We did a great job on Ollie Watkins. I was worried about him kind of coming in, but we didn't give him an inch in that as well. And uh, it was a great away performance in that as well. And let's be honest, guys, if Liverpool would have done that, everyone would be saying, what a manager Lee Egan Klopp is, but because Danny Carley does it, it's kind of long ball, etc. So boils me a little bit. Yeah, I'll just come, in, just come back to kind of the, the point on the referees, because he mentioned. Um, increase, I, I've not got too many kind of... Um, complaints necessarily about the referees that we've had so far this season but what I increasingly see is that it feels like the referees come out with um, pre-game with a, an idea about how they're going to manage the game or kind of they've got kind of a, a, a plan if you like in terms of kind of 
what they're going to do when. So stereotypically, what I've seen, they've got no intention or, or kind of really reluctant to book people in the first half. They want to let the first half flow. And it's almost then you kind of get to the 55 or 60 minute point and then suddenly cards will kind of start to appear left, right and centre for what in the first half was just given as a free kick or in some instances is not given. Um, now I appreciate there's, a, there's a, sometimes a need for booking for repeat offences and perhaps when people have done two, three, four fouls, etc. you then need to put them kind of to caution, so to speak. But it just inf- increasingly to me feels like the referees are quite happy to let the first 45 minutes, 60 minutes flow and suddenly then I haven't booked anyone yet. I need to book someone. I need to end the, end the game with three bookings to one side, two to the other. And, and I must follow this plan because that'll kind of then kind of um, almost appease everyone in, in, in the FA perhaps I'm not too sure I could be thinking about it far too deeply but it just feels like every kind of game follows the same pattern from a referee's point of view I'll, I'll just dive in there I I thought a couple of the bookings on, on Saturday were quite harsh to be honest Diakabi was the, the Diakabi one yeah and I think uh, I'm just trying to scramble now uh, who else was, was booked but I think it might have been Kachunga was it who was booked and I thought that was uh, pretty much a nothing kind of a cha- challenge. I think the one they're probably thinking about is Tommy Elphick in the first half where he, he kind of competed with the ball for someone and went in quite quite strong and then kind of mounted them almost yeah. <laughs> on the way back. And yeah, you could argue that's probably probably a booking for for sort of, it's almost like rugby league, isn't it? Where you kind of interrupt the play of the ball kind of thing, isn't it? That kind of laying on kind of tactic. And I thought that was probably a bit, a bit fortunate, but uh, I, I didn't have too many complaints. Um, I, th- I think the referees. I prefer it at this level because I think if referees are too too strict, I think it encourages the other dark side of the game, which you know, which we don't like, which is going down easily, feigning injury. And I think that I think once the re- once the players know that the referee can give gives things quite easily, I think it goes too far the other way. So I'm quite happy with the level it's at. I thought Ashley Fletcher should have been sent off for Middlesbrough uh, for yeah, that well, elbow on Elphick, but. One? <laughs> well, which one? Yeah, but I think in general, it's uh, it's not too bad. Don't you think, though, Matt? Though that you remember, it might be a little bit the new Warnock here, back obviously mid nineties now. But we had a reputation for that as well. You know, the dark arts, Matt. You know what they call it these days, managing the game. I love it. I absolutely love it. That you know, people are talking about what it should sound like this. And if you remember, you know, Danny Cowley, you know, Lincoln, they had a reputation in that as well. And it's it's incredible that he's done it so quick. He's, he's brought it to other seal town, and I absolutely love it. If, if you're making other teams' fans, other teams' managers not happy, then you're doing something right. You know how many times last year we were here in the Premier League? How well we played! We played really well here, there, and everywhere. But we walked out with no points more often than not. I absolutely love it, and it just it just makes me laugh because it's laziness. I think from a lot of the opposition fans, they look at where we've been, the look at the league table, look at the form table, what is your town at the top of the championship form table? You know, should be respected. So I'm not sure a lot of sure Bentham fans knew that coming in, but I think there's a lot of people that just look at the league table and just think, like, it should be an easy win. Championship is not like that. And uh, it was just music to my ears, really, and that as well. But to be fair that, to their manager, I couldn't, you know, kind of argue with a little bit. I think they were a bit kind of trying to lead them down a certain path on that as well. But, you know, Danny Cowley, uh, did a fantastic job uh, on Brentford and ultimately Uddersfield Town won 1-0. Yeah, I'd go with that, mate. Um, I thought we managed the game very well. Uh, there, there are certain things, I, I, thinking back actually, there was a hog challenge in the first half which was a bit bit rough as well, which you could have been booked for. So I think maybe there, there's a couple of things there that they're thinking about and 
And, may, and I think when you lose a game and you kind of dwell on these moments a little bit and you kind of think, well, if the referee had a stamped down on this, that, then he wouldn't have been able to do it again later on and, and get booked for it because he'd have been walking that that tightrope. So I, I get where some of them are coming from. I just think it's a little bit a little bit soft. And I think it's a bit rich calling it calling it Northern Cloghouse when, when the whole sort of cloggy, dark arts thing really sort of started with Wimbledon in, in southwest London. But go on, Simon. Actually, it feels like a bit like sour grapes to me. Bitterness, sour grapes. Um, ultimately, we did a job on them and they're not happy about it. Tough yeah. luck. Yeah, so that's Brentford nil, uh, Uruguay 1966 won. Um, <laughs> if you go but no. If you listen to the podcast, there, there are some good guys on there at the Cosy that, that are really, you know, really good listen. Um, so it's, it's worth jumping in. Yeah, they're really good. They, they, I mean, the broadcast's really good and there's a lot of Brentford fans because they did an interviews after the game and... Uh, you know, it's like after the game, Matt, when we've done the interviews, kind of emotions are running high, etc. and you've lost, and yeah, it is. And uh, but they they were very honest in that as well. A lot of them said they were probably no better than a point. They could maybe argue the point and that as well. But I think there's quite a few that obviously know Danny Carly from kind of down there. The, the bit he's done, you know, with Concord as, and that as well. So I, I just think, yeah, Uddersfield Town. That it was such a big moment and that as well. And Obviously, we talk about pressing again. It doesn't get any easier, does it? Away at Deepdale, where we never get a result ever. But, yeah, it's just another step in our development. Fantastic result. I wasn't feeling all that coming in. I, I thought, I text uh, Johnny, who did the uh, did the commentary on Saturday. Uh, I think it's said on earlier, didn't I? But he was Johnny. He'll probably give me a bit, of a bit of stick now. But I said I wasn't feeling it. I, I didn't think, I, I, well, I'll be honest, I, th- I said I thought we'd probably get beat on Saturday. So how wrong can you be in that as well? That even proving me wrong at the moment have and that's uh, another yeah. challenge <laughs> right okay so speaking of speak of the devil what we'll do is we'll uh, play the goal from the weekend and then we'll talk about the main man himself and a ball over the top by Carl and Grant looking here for Fraser Campbell left hand side inside the area he goes plays it backwards to Grant Grant now onto his right boot goes for goal and scores Carl and Grant low powerful emphatic into the bottom corner he slides on his knees in front of the 1,600 travelling Huddersfield Town fans. Goal number nine for Carlin Grant. And the Terriers lead in the capital. It is Brentford nil, Huddersfield Town one. OK, so thanks to uh, to Johnny for his uh, his commentary, stepping in ably uh, for uh, for Paul Ogden. So we'll, we'll talk about Carlin Grant. And he's... he's uh, he is on fire at the minute. He's, you know, he's playing that left inside forward kind of role and he's... He's absolutely smashing it at the minute. Um, sadly, when when things like that happen, um, people take an interest. So we've had uh, the Sun, I think it is, and a few other publications. Mike McGrath's not really got great form for getting things right with Huddersfield Town. I think he's got one or two out of quite a long, extensive list of of stories. Right. So, uh, but he he says that Bra- Bournemouth and Wolves uh, are interested in Carl and Grant in January and are set to battle it out so what are your thoughts there Simon so firstly what a strike from Carl and Grant absolute rasper into the into the bottom corner once he gets into that that position there's no one that you would rather have uh, hitting you know hitting you know striking at goal uh, what so what do you think about the goal itself and, and the links as well that we've had between Bournemouth and Wolves and obviously it was inevitable wasn't it that this could this will happen yeah I mean on the goal itself um, so it's a great finish great great finish and you can't really see anyone else in our squad certainly this moment in time being able to score a goal of that quality. Um, there's definitely a threat for us, whether it's kind of playing through the centre or playing through on the left-hand side. Um, prior to the Brentford game, I always thought through the centre was, was his best position. Um, and now a little bit undecided, I must admit. But uh, he's definitely an asset and someone we want to hang on to for as long as possible, that's uh, that's for sure. In terms of the rumours, um, 
doesn't surprise me. And we're kind of heading towards January now and the rumour mill's only going to get kind of thicker and thicker as we as we get into December. Um, I think it's inevitable he will play premiership football again at some point in his career. There's no doubt he will want to do that personally. Um, whether that's with Huddersfield Town or not, time will tell. But I think I think we'd be naive and stupid to let him go in January. Um, that's something we should definitely look to avoid, in my opinion. Um, and and then kind of potentially where we finish, kind of uh, and what and comes in the summer, I guess will will remain to be seen. But um, uh, I guess the other two clubs you mentioned, kind of Bournemouth and Wolves. Um, you could see why both those would be attractive to him. Um, Eddie Howe's a great manager at Bournemouth, done really good things there and kind of built a young squad. Um, uh, and also kind of Wolves' slightly different model, obviously with kind of the foreign owners and the They've foreign managers. just uh, signed a striker over the summer. I think it's Catrone, Catrone. Uh, yeah. And I think there's been a few murmurs that he's not really what they wanted him to be. So perhaps yeah. they're looking for another striker. But The place where I could see him is Crystal Palace. If you kind of look at Crystal Palace, they've been crying out for a striker for the last few years. And whether London or not... Well. Yeah, exactly. South London, whether or not kind of heading back home, heading back to his roots would appeal to him. Um, I guess something that will remain to be seen. Uh, they've also got Ben Teke on the books who they might want to need to offload from a wage point of view first. But it, it, to, to sum up, it's inevitable that there'll be interest in him. Um, I would really kind of implore us to kind of hang on to him and, until kind of uh, the summer at least. And then who knows? So before I bring you in, Cosy, we'll, we'll, I'll read a couple of tweets out that we've had on this. The first one's from... From Lee Robinson, he says, do we seriously think we'll consider selling Grant in January? Uh, and the second one is from Robert Flockton, who says, if Grant was sold in January or in the summer, who would you replace him with and why? So we'll, we'll go to you first, uh, Cosy. And uh, you're over there in Spain. Have you scouted anybody that could be a, a Grant replacement or would you uh, put up the not-for-sale sign? Yeah, there was a guy last night called Messi, but he hit the post. He looked a bit past it, to be honest with you. So... Uh, no resale value. In, uh, yeah, not someone I'd want in, uh, in our team. But no, to, to, to be honest with you guys, uh, it's inevitable, really. I mean, <laughs> I just can't stop thinking about Ollie McBurney went to Sheffield now for 20 million. Let, let that sink in. Ollie McBurney, the great Ollie McBurney, went to Sheffield now for 20 million. So I know Neil was saying it started with the two last week. Couldn't agree more. But I don't know about uh, you guys, but I, I honestly think that, you know, it's got so much more development to come. He can be a lot better than what he has. I don't, sometimes it sounds a bit harsh, but I don't think his touch is all that. Uh, I do. I do think he's, you know, he's got a lot more development to come. I'm hoping it's for those. <laughs> yeah, money talks. January, who knows? You know, teams are desperate. There might be a team that's sliding down the bottom of the Premier League, and you know, their money can blow us out of the water. But I think it'd be suicide really to sell him at the moment. If you look at kind of our setup of our strikers, Mounier. You know, been not even on the bench on Saturday. I know there was mention about a foot injury, but I'm not yeah. sure on that. I think, you know, to a guy who signed his first professional contract this week. So, Steve Munier is now in Brothersfield Town. And, you know, Carlin Grant, the guy who's scoring the goals uh, at the moment, he's, you know, can imagine taking him out. Who's going to score our goals? At? And we're still in a, a fight. Stop up, in my opinion. Let's not get carried away, guys. I think we're far off the bottom three, but. Yeah, I think it'd be a stupid thing to do. I think he'd be with us for all the season. But yeah, in the summer, personally, I don't think he'll, you know, be obviously, uh, you never know what's going to happen in the end of the season. Who knows? Injuries, God forbid, or things like that as well. But will the Callum that Miller's just shirt in August? It's still a long way off. I don't think so. But I'm expecting him to be here uh, from January onwards, to be honest with you. But the way he's going at the moment, I, 
I went on the uh, radio lead from the start of the year, and, and then they quoted me, and that's when I got some right stick from a lot of lead fans because I said, this guy's going to get 20 goals, Carl and Grant. Even showed the video when we did that pre-season thing, Matt, you were there. And I'll get some right stick. I'm feeling pretty smug at the moment. because It's not like them I to not we'll get know anything 20, outside of 20 goals, mate. Is it, so. Um, so, yeah, so we're talking about Grant. Um, Ollie McBurney got 22 goals last season for Swansea. Which is a which is a good return for a, a team similar to us, I guess, in a way that had just been relegated and didn't perform particularly well. Uh, Swansea have gone on to sell him for quite a lot of money and are having quite a good season, ironically. Um, I, I do agree with a lot of what Cosy says there, Simon. In that, if Grant is injured for the weekend, or we do sell him, you do look around and think, "Oh, Kachunga's got one, Campbell's got one, who else? O'Brien's got one," and you just kind of think, mm, "We need we need others to chip in." Bakuna's got a couple. Uh, you, we kind of need others to chip in up front, dear Carby, etc., to to come in. And th- those two questions: Do we think? Do I think Grant will be sold in January? No, but I think the reason for that is because I don't think the chairman is daft. I think he knows that Grant is under a good under a good coach in in Cowley. He's improving. He's improving wide left. He'll improve in the middle. His touch will improve. His link up play will improve, which is a weak point at the moment. Everything about him will improve. So. Even if someone comes in with twenty million in January, I still think we can push higher in the summer. If it comes around, we're in a good position because Grant's playing well, he's scoring, he's enjoying his time, he's a leader in the dressing room. Everything seems to be going well for Carlan at the minute. And it, like Cosy says, it's inevitable that someone will come in and offer enough money to take him because we're not a football club who can sit there and go twenty-five million. No, get get on your bike. We're not a football club who can afford to do that. We we need to take as much as we can. But it's about maximizing. Grant's value now and looking into the future and saying, okay, maybe he's worth 20 million in January, but what's he going to be worth in August or, you know, just before the start of the season in August after he's got, you know, 20, 25 goals this season, even more, he's got nine goals in, in 15, 16 games, you know, you, you, you times that by three and, you know, you're looking at 27 goals this season, which you don't get that a lot in this day and age. You know, when you used to play four four two, you used to have your target man and striker, your striker would get, you know, 25 goals, you know, that would be the way that you would play. But now, you know, under different systems, the goals are shared out more equally. So you would think if somebody like Carl and Grant gets 25 plus, which is possible with the way it's going, then that valuation is going to skyrocket in the summer and there's going to be a lot more teams interested. I completely agree. Um, I mean, this lad's 22 years old. Um, so he's still very much at the start of his career. Let's not forget that. Ollie McBurney's 23, so kind of a similar age there when we talk about valuations and where we think that should sit. Um, presumably there'll be some kind of um, sell-on cause to go back to Charlton. You'd imagine that was kind of negotiated as part of the deal, so we'll need to factor that into the thinking well, as well. What we we'll do as well, just to mention that, I did forget to mention that, that chairman there is crazy at Charlton, so usually a lot of sell-ons include a buyout, so you can buy out the sell-on clause. I think if, if, if that does exist, I think town would be wise to maybe test that, because selling him... We can do that, do that as soon as possible. <laughs> we did that with Anthony Pilkington. I think we bought it back, so we'd never paid uh, an amount to Stockport, so... Let's see how desperate he is and see if we can get that sell-on clause out, if there is one. Yeah, it does seem a bit of a uh, loose cannon, doesn't he, there? Kind of Charlton chairman. If, well, just testing his stupidity levels, really, because if he's, if, he's if he's switched on even half, then he knows not to sell that. Completely agree. And then just to come back on kind of goals in the squad and, and kind of potential replacements, um, inevitably, if Grant moves on at some point come the summer, uh, before then there'll be kind of ins and outs. It's, it's inevitable a little bit where we are currently, but... I guess the one lad who kind of screams to me as a kind of almost a ready-made replacement on that left-hand side would be Josh Karoma. Um, we've got kind of a, a young lad there, 20 old who's scored lots of goals kind of for the EDT team now. Um, 
and it feels like he should perhaps get kind of uh, a chance before, before we do delve into the market and I'm sure he will do at some point this season as kind of suspensions and injuries hit kind of as we get into Christmas period no doubt yeah so uh, from a couple of things that I've been looking around at uh, one name that seemed to get mentioned so I've been having a look around and, and as you look around over social media forums etc you get to kind of work out who's slightly reliable and reliable and who talks a lot of nonsense don't you with with form if you like so i i, I did i did no, i did take note of one particular person that said uh, the cowleys are apparently a, a huge fan of ivan tony from peterborough uh but peterborough allegedly wanting around 10 million for him at the minute yeah. so um so that's a lot of money for for a striker who's it was really only just finding his his uh his shooting boots at the same you know i think he's a year older maybe than carlan as well so um you know maybe that'd be one to watch possibly um if he keeps scoring, I think he's got 12 in 16 at the minute as Ivan Tony in League One. So that could be one to watch if Callan Grant does leave. If Callan Grant doesn't leave, I very much doubt that that will happen if uh, if Mr. McCanton is wanting uh, £10 million there. And uh, uh, the Marcus Madison one that I keep going on about as well, he had a, a £2.5 million release clause in the summer, but apparently that was uh, windowed. So apparently that's no longer uh, the case with the £2.5 million release clause. And, and Peterborough apparently wanting a lot of money at a similar level for him as well. But isn't, isn't his contract out at the end of the season? He's out of contract at the end of the season, yeah. So uh, people can start pestering him with offers from January 1st for the end of the season. So if I was Mr. Webb, uh, who I think is on a Radio Leeds special this evening, I would I would be asking the question, definitely. Yeah, and surely Peter with us kind of um, be tempted by a, a cheeky million pounds in January if they're not going to get anything come uh, come the summer. I, I think I think they'll tell us where to go. He's not he's not daft for. Can only but ask Matthew. We can only but ask. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So um, in terms of Carl and Grant, just to round up on on Carl, and I think uh, yes, I think in January, if we if we choose to sell him in January, it'd be a short sighted move. But if you know January is a crazy month and people are desperate, aren't they? So if somebody came in from the Premier League who was absolutely desperate and offered something really really silly, you know, we're talking twenty five plus. Then I think there's a, a, a quite a potential that we would we would kind of weigh that up and think, well, what would we get in the summer? But I guess it's a watch this space and and like Danny Cowley says, if people don't want our players, then there's a worry, and I think that's a really good a really good comment from from the manager himself. So what we'll do? So we'll, we'll, we've we've wrapped up Cal and Grant there, so um, we will move on to uh, our next section. But Leeds are it straight to Moy again, who shoots. What a goal, Aaron Moy! An absolute thunderbolt delivered all the way from Australia. So th- just to remove any doubt there, Cosy, that was Oggy, uh, not Johnny, uh, f- delivering the uh, the line of the thunderbolt from all the way from Australia. One of the uh, happier moments from the 16-17 season and one of my favourite moments from that as well. Uh, so we'll go on to a community update. So Neil, sadly, is no longer here. He's, he's laid up with the, the lurgy. So we'll just do a very brief uh, community overview and... and being part of the community and one of our main draws to uh, being sponsored by Magic Rock was the chance to uh, highlight certain things in the community as well. So this is a section that we like to um, align ourselves and, and promote certain uh, certain people and certain organisations that are doing really great things in the area. And the first one that uh, is very close to Neil's heart is Andy's Man Club. So if you have a look at uh, the Andy's Man Club website for for your for your local one, if if you're feeling uh, that you need to speak to somebody about some issues that you've got in your life, then Andy's Man Club is a very up-and-coming, very good place to go to speak about your issues. Uh, nothing never leaves the room. Uh, so if you need, if you feel that you need to go and speak to somebody, uh, really, I think you should you know, go try it out. There's no pressure to talk. You can listen and then you can work your way in very slowly 
Uh, the good rule about Andy's Man Club as well is it's every Monday at 7 o'clock, wherever it is in the country. So uh, we, there's the old fire station at Huddersfield where it is. So uh, if you're interested in that, then then have a look at the website and then maybe go down and you can, you know, you can grab a, a drink, a coffee, and you can listen. And then when you're ready, you can jump in and, uh, and, and talk to somebody as well there. Uh, the other uh, organisation that uh, Neil is uh, very close to working with, uh, closely works with is uh, Huddersfield Street Kitchen. Uh, Huddersfield Street Kitchen uh, operates twice a week now, uh, every uh, Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, so if you fancy getting involved with Huddersfield Street Kitchen, uh, you can drop Neil a message um, at Huddersfield ST2 on Twitter or have a look at Huddersfield Street Kitchen on Facebook as well if you're not on, on Twitter. Uh, we will be doing a, a drive at some point with with clothing uh, so you know it's coming up to winter well it is winter <laughs> if you step outside today there's a lot of people could really do with you know coats and, and winter gear if you've got things to spare and obviously the things that you spare you know they, they don't want them ripped down the side or anything you know as long as it's in a good uh, working condition if you like then uh, then I just feel street kitchen would, would love to receive that uh, and the uh, final one that uh, I want to mention as well this week is the welcome center uh, which is very close to Magic Rock. So the Welcome Centre is uh, a, a huge food bank in the north of England, essentially. But they don't only uh, send out food and care packs. They, they you know, they look to clothe uh, people in need as well. So that's very, very similar. And they're looking for uh, for, for winter coats as well. So if you, if you feel that you can contribute or you want to get involved, uh, the Welcome Centre uh, has two blue bins at the start of Magic Rock. If you don't know where Magic Rock is, uh, go check it out. It's at Willow Park Business Centre, uh, Willow Lane, Huddersfield. So it's Birkby in Huddersfield. Uh, I'm going to definitely drag uh, Simon down there for... Uh, and ironically, they do a dark arts uh, stout uh, slash thing down there. So I think it's got licorice, chocolate, coffee, something like that. You buying? I would. I'd, I'd buy a couple, yeah. It's first, <laughs> first time for everything. It's pretty, <laughs> it is pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, if, you, if, you want, if you feel that you want to get involved, then uh, even if you, you know, want to drop us a message directly, that'd be great, and then we could... Uh, definitely point you in the right direction. So another thing that Huddersfield Town have done in the community as well uh, last week uh, during half term was uh, a signing day. So on Tuesday they had Schindler uh, and on Thursday, uh, Schindler and I can't remember who the other one was, Congo? Bakuna. 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 And then on Thursday, Danny Simpson and Trevor Chaloba. Uh, Thursday I have uh, I have the day off with my little boy. So I had to actually go over to, to Magic Rock to pick up this recording equipment that we've, that we've done. So I actually went on the way to get the new uh, coral shirts there's a uh, 20% off in the shop or there was 20% off and uh, I just thought while I'm there I could uh, get his because uh, what we tend to do to keep him organized because he's only 18 months old so we, we usually get him a clapper from the bin outside and he'll smack it all game which is quite happy and it keeps him keeps him entertained so uh, from his first win we've kept uh, you know from the f- he started going against Chelsea in the Premier League okay. and he didn't see a win until we beat Hull City 3-0 <laughs> so he's, he's waited a while not that he knows but uh, we've kept that We've kept that clapper, so I got that signed by uh, Danny Simpson and uh, Trevor Chaloba, so it's upstairs, which is quite good. So I don't know whether that's more of a keepsake for me or a keepsake for him. I haven't worked that one out yet. But uh, it was a, it was really well put together. Uh, Luke Cowan and the, the Megastore uh, staff were, were great, you know, on the day, uh, really organised. So, uh, well attended? Wanna, yeah, when I got there, I got there about quarter past two, so it was between two and three. I got there, and there was about 30, 40 people queuing, which was surprising. I thought rather naively, because I've never been to one before, because I've never... <laughs> never never had a child to take if you like so I, I sort of turned up and thought oh there'll only be a few people I'll be in and out get the shirt and off we go and and uh yeah there's a bit of a queue so it took about half, half an term hour. week wasn't it half term I think it was yeah so um but yeah it was really done so I just wanted to say well done to Huddersfield Town and these community uh things that they do are really 
you can see that it's a it's a football club that entrenches itself in the community as well, and the town foundation do some great work. So, uh, just wanted to say well done to uh, to the staff on that. Um, my little boy enjoyed it, so um, great stuff. So well done. So uh, thanks for listening to our community bit, and we'll we'll move on to our next part. The long ball forward, but he can't win that ball. He's going to chase the keeper down. He's charged it down. Yeah. He's scored. <laughs> just scored for the most bizarre goal you'll ever see. The goalkeeper raced out of his area to clear the ball. Hayford charged it down. It's hit his back and it's bubbled in. And Town have got what they deserve. One, one a good moment there, Cosy, at uh, Villa Park. So one of my, uh, another favourite moment that season. And that, that night was when the uh, Hayford song by uh, Kung's, I think it's Kung's, isn't it? Uh, Kung's Burning on, I can't remember. Yeah. But the, the song, um, you know, Great Night, Great Night, Aston Villa. Horrible traffic afterwards. And uh, I think we got home at two in the morning, but still high, high as kites. It was a, a great night. Yeah, that bus broke. You want to <laughs> get your violin out there. That bus broke down that night. We didn't, I think about to bed till like five in the morning, but no one cared. Uh, we were on a journey. We were on a roll. And, uh, we're on our way. Yeah, comes on three burners, I think it's That's called. The one, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, Michael Effley, whatever happened to him, he'll be in our... Uh, where are they now in a, in a few years, mate, sadly? If I could get Michael Heffley on this podcast, I think it would last three or four hours. It would be amazing if we could get him on. It'd just be so good. Um, but we'll move, our next section, so we've put out a few questions on Twitter. So we, we always have a, a brilliant response from from town fans on Twitter. You know, we always really appreciate uh, people getting involved. So uh, when, when we first set up Andy Takes That Chance, uh, one of the first reasons for doing so was I didn't want it to be three or four guys dictating their opinion to an audience, if you like, what I wanted to make it make it like was a more holistic approach. So I wanted opinions to come in, you know, and people to share their opinions and uh, and set agendas really. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to a couple of questions that we've got from Twitter and uh, and and go through it. So uh, the first one I've got is from Aaron Tyndall. Uh, so thanks for this, Aaron. He's put with five of the next seven games against the current top six. What are your expectations before we reach the the midpoint of the season? And before I dive into that there's a couple of others as well um that have that have sent similar things so town trader says huddersfield town top 12 is over two to one at some bookmakers should i put the house on it and then one of my favorite ones was from uh, brandon underscore htfc who says taking a moment to reflect and not get caught up in the hype of the unbeaten run and the realism about the season do you think it's safe to say we'll never lose the game of football again which i thought was great uh so guys, so what are your so now we're on this seven match unbeaten run? Cosy, you erred on the side of caution a little bit earlier. Are probably right to do so, in my opinion. Do you think people just need to kind of taper it a little bit because good runs come with bad runs? Yeah, I know that, but God, we've had misery for like eighteen months. I think I don't know, carried away, but like, let's enjoy what we've got. And uh, to be honest, it's four wins and three draws. Not we've won seven straight, so. Yeah, it's just good to feel good again. And in life, it's good to feel good. There's so many people feeling down about everything. And, uh, you know, 1,600 town fans went to Brentford on Saturday. Sensational following, really. I, I when you think about it, how poor we're doing. I, I left incredible. the decision late, Cosy, to go to Brentford, whether I was going to go to Brentford. And they'd sold out by the time I thought, right, I'm ready to go. So it shows snooze you lose. And the, the following is, fa- is fantastic. And people are starting to believe again, aren't they? Yeah, there's people starting to enjoy the football again and that as well. There's no fun in getting beaten despite what the Premier League uh, dreamers tell us that we want to be in the Premier League. This is the place to be. I'm sorry, but losing every week, no fun. So at the moment, obviously, uh, we're on a l- little bit of a roll and that as well. And 
be honest, my expectations are I think we might come top of the bottom, 13, 12, something like that. No, it's not uh, a great thing to say, a sexy thing to say, but you know, from where we were, after we left that ground against Sheffield Wednesday, I felt we were in serious trouble. So at the moment, throwing a few punches, annoying a few people like we have, the Brentford guy, that's all good for me and that as well. I'm just looking forward to seeing how we're going to do against the, the bigger teams. Because if we're being honest in the run, have we beaten anyone decent yet? Brentford, I mean, to be fair, they're mid-table and that as well. Have we really better big hitters? Something out of, you know, someone in Joe Public, wow, what does Seudersel have been today? We've not really. So that's the next step in our development and that as well. And obviously we've got some massive games coming up. I mentioned these earlier. Preston, obviously, on Saturday, you were absolutely flying at the moment. So let's see how we can go. But, yeah, I'm not getting carried away. My expectations are still probably mid-table. And, uh, you know, would you want to go back up? You obviously want to do the best you can be. But, you know, we're, we're miles behind in kind of getting to where we need to be and that as well. So let's just enjoy what we've got, guys. And uh, at the moment, people are going to spot at Dunstall Town, clicking to the turnstiles, and they're leaving with smiling their face. And that's something that's not been for a long time. Yeah, so so thanks, Cosy, for for that. So if I if I look at the league table now, the league table makes makes very interesting reading, and this is one of the wonderful things about the championship, is that you've got Huddersfield Town down in uh, 18th position on 16 points. We are only uh, four points off of Middlesbrough, who are on 12 points uh, in the relegation zone, and then Bristol City are the last playoff spot in on 25 points, and. We're only nine points off that, so it's it's not it's not massive, but it probably is in terms of the amount of teams between us. Uh, but the top half, whole um, city who we sent packing, we beat them three nil. They looked incredibly poor against us, and we we really sort of could have beaten them four five six. And they've put a little run together, and they're up in eleventh and on twenty two points. So we're, we're six points, two wins off whole city in the top half, uh, and Hull themselves are only one win away from Bristol City in, in six. So I think I'm, I'm kind of looking at the season now. You, you kind of do regret, don't you? That you Hull were, think... Go on, Cosy. Hull were awful, though, Matt, against us, weren't they, though? Let's be honest. We, yeah. They were dreadful. I, I wasn't impressed at all with Will Keane. And, you know, they looked aside on the on their redress and that as well. And they've had some great wins after. It just shows what you can do and that as well. But, uh, yeah, we're still a long way off any, anything like and that as well. But we're an informed team and, it's just a crazy division, really, and that as well. I think there's been a few things flying about under that. You know, I think we've scored as many of Leeds, have we, or something? But we've conceded eight less or something ridiculous like that. But it's just this clean sheets that matter to me. We were such an easy beat for so long, shipping in goals, not scoring many. But once you shut that back door, you've got a point, haven't you? And anything else is like a bonus. So at the moment, to me, I, honestly, it's just back to basics for me. Keep a clean sheet kick on from there it's not the prettiest football let's be honest with you but I'm kind of excited to see where it's going to end up January obviously you know will it, who's going to ship in I think a lot will depend who comes out on that as well so I'm enjoying the kind of the journey that we're on I'm enjoying just like getting people at Ullisill Town they're uh, causing a few uh, you know emotions in the, in the uh, championship at the moment and the people are wondering where they can go I, I honestly I'm loving what, what we're doing at the moment and that's just winning games and uh, being out to beat which is uh, Something that's been ailing for us for ages. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll I'll come across to you now, Simon. So we, we've seen the table so close. You know, or it could be another run away from uh, from the top or bottom in a lot of respects. What uh, I think a lot, a few people online have kind of gone. No, imagine if the Cowleys had taken over at the start of the season rather than you know a fair few games in which which Jan Ziva got. 
But I kind of think if we hadn't had that bad run in the championship under Jan, we'd have had that. What what about you know with Jan Ziva? They'd have always been that. Do you know, did we let him go too early? If anything hadn't gone perfectly, uh, and obviously the Cowleys wouldn't have been able to have that same sort of impact of coming in and picking people up from from the bottom because in pre season every you know we won every game, they went away, and everything seemed hunky dory. So in terms of the season now, we've 15, 16 games in. Uh, 15 league games, if you like. What, what are you expecting? What, what are you looking at? Are you looking? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win, order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Looking up or are you looking down? Or both? Eyes in the both, back of your head. Both. Uh, it's very difficult to call, isn't it? I think if you compare the Championship to the Premier League, um, it's so difficult to predict. In the Premier League, there's that out and out kind of top four, top five, if you like. There's the obvious relegation candidates, but there isn't that in the Championship. Who do I think will get promoted at this moment in time? Who do I think will get relegated at this moment in time? There's maybe one or two teams I'd call. West Brom, perhaps, Barnsley, perhaps, at the foot of the table, but it's so, so difficult. Um, so, yeah, kind of, who knows what will happen? Um, but uh, to kind of Cosy's point at the start, really, um, you come to football, you kind of get into football to enjoy it, to kind of be optimistic, to get a break from everyday life, the kind of trials and tribulations of kind of what's happening in society and stuff. So let's just enjoy it and let's see how this journey takes us. And I think under the Cowleys, and certainly the long term, it's, it's only going to be a positive thing. So we've got two more questions on Twitter, and I'll ask one to each of you. Um, so Andrew at Regiminator. So I'll ask this to you, Simon, uh, since I was, we're talking at the moment. So in, he says, in retrospect, will the loss of Moy and Lerva be to the long-term benefit of the team? So enter O'Brien and Brown. Yeah, it's a very good question. In the long term, given the age of and the kind of profile of both players, kind of start of their careers, kind of Chris Lerva and are more, more kind of the late to their 20s and potentially, yes, who knows what the future will hold for those two players, but you'd like to think we'll certainly get more value out of them, either be at the club or as a kind of a, a transfer elsewhere. Um, would I still like to have Aaron Moy and kind of Chris Lever in the Huddersfield Town squad at this moment in time? Definitely. Um, particularly, obviously, it looks like Jaden Brown might have picked up a bit of an injury at Brentford and with no out-and-out left-back replacement, if you like, Um that could be a bit of a difficult thinking head to the Preston game. So, yeah, I'd very much like them to be in the squad at this moment in time, but the fact it's given an opportunity to these two youngsters is really, really encouraging. Everyone likes to see players come through the academy. And I think in, in the longer term, there's going to be two real stars there. I think what it makes you realise, guys, is that that you know team that got us promoted, it, God, it sounds a bit disrespectful, but it's, it, it was miles in front of what we've got now. If you think that the quality that we had then, you know, Moy and Lerber, then they're miles better than anything we've got now. It's such a developing team and your party wonders how far they can go. Jaden Brown's been sensational. It's, it's a cutting about his injury, obviously. He put something on Instagram today. It sounds like he's going to be a few weeks out at least, which is a bit disappointing. He's, you know, he's been playing really well. But 
yeah, it, we, we were lucky really because those were kind of deemed as you know a bit of gamble signings. A lot of them, you know, German guys that we did bring in, and uh, I mean, like, let's be honest, the Kachunga we had before is better than the Kachunga now. So it just shows that you know I, I'm very realistic about it. This team's nowhere near that that team that we had of promotion. But it's just to me, it's interesting how far can Lewis O'Brien go. Uh, we've mentioned Carl and Grant. Hopefully, he'll stay with us and uh, see how good he can go. Young lad that were on the bench. I listened to Radio Leeds thing tonight before we went on air, and Lee Brom has got massive uh, hopes for him and that as well. Uh, you know, to break in, uh, seeing Alan Road kind of get a little bit. Uh, Matty Daly get you know some games last season, so it's a totally different picture now. But we know what it takes to get out of this division and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just to me, it's, it's kind of enjoy the ride. But at the moment, I think we've got to be very satisfied where we're at because we're winning games. We're hard to beat and we're doing it with young guys coming in. Uh, not what we had before, so it's a totally different picture. And uh, we, I think a lot of people just kind of get with it, get us got with it, really, the the project that we're on, really, at town. It's different to before. January's going to be fascinating because obviously he likes, uh, you know, to go with a bit of a talisman up front uh, in his past, you know, management uh uh, gigs Danny, Danny Cowley so it'll be interesting to see whether he will go for the big target man because I don't expect to be money to be around past Jan Okay so um, the only thing I'd say on that is that Lerva yeah we probably miss both but I, I would say O'Brien and Moy are very different kind of players Moy is someone who can dictate that middle of the park and we don't have a player like that in the squad but I, I take the point Brown and um, O'Brien look like they could have could have great futures with us I so. think O'Brien's quite versatile isn't he so you could see O'Brien and Moy potentially in, in another time in the same team together. It's the possession. You yeah, can never together, have yeah. Lever and Brown in the same team. So, um, yeah, kind of, I guess O'Brien so and, and Moyes as a midfield two as part of a three with Hogg potentially would be kind of really kind of interesting to watch. But who knows if we'll ever see that. So the next question uh, that we've got here, Cosley, I'll aim this one at you. So it's from... my question, by the way. <laughs> I don't even know what your question was. <laughs> right, so Hudders Wayne, at Hudders Wayne says, uh, so we can finally start to think a bit more positively and look up the table instead of worrying about League One, hopefully. So hopefully, so in two or three years' time, if we were to get promoted to the Premier League again, what have we learned? Uh, what could we do differently next time? And because that's a difficult question and you're not in the room, I'm throwing that at you, Richard. Cheers, guys. No pressure on that one uh... I don't know if we could do much different, to be honest with you. I think if you think about that, you know, the first season we went in, so we went on with the team that we had and, and it pretty much the guys excelled, they overachieved and what we had in that as well. And we got, we got kind of, you know, lucky with the signings, really Steve Mooney in that first season, really good. And I find it, it's easy to say, you know, we bought the wrong players and we have, we, we did. I mean, I know Neil, we laugh about it now, kind of Montpellier, quote Montpellier garbage, but we were always going to be shopping in like, you know, second, kind of second, third tier players that a lot of people didn't want. And you were kind of hoping that, you know, that this would kick us on. Sheffield United are going to have the same problem. They're having a right season next season, this season. Obviously, what a result on Saturday. They're probably going to stop up and they're going to look at it a bit like we did. Like, right, okay, we've got all that money. How do we go again? Because it's similar to us. They've got that spirit, you know, great and determination and a great manager, the great leader in Wilder. And it's very difficult, I think, because, what you've come up with, to be honest with you, and uh, the skills and everything that, that mattered to get you where they are, that kind of fell by the wayside a little bit with bringing in more players. So sometimes bringing in more is not, not the best thing. And 
Danny Kelly were asked this at the gas club. He was, you know, kind of from the outside looking in, what do you think went wrong with the shield in the Premier League? And he were kind of mentioning that, you know, people signed, you know, for the Premier League rather than other shield town. And as much as, you know, say we got back up, as much as you'd want that to be the other way around, I, I don't think, you know, that, that would ever happen because let's be honest, when you get into a guy, people can say, oh, the shield, no, how much am I getting paid? It's Premier League, then I'll sign. So, I find it difficult to answer that question, really, because I don't think we did a lot wrong. And apart from the signings, kind of in the second season, has not panned out like we were. But if we got back there again, we'd be doing exactly the same. Really, we'd be shopping in quote the Aldis and the Lidls and, and of this, you know, kind of shopping basket, really, where everyone else will be, you know, paying the mega bucks and the, and the transfer fees, you know, like, like they have and that as well. It just scares me. Alan McBurney, twenty odd million, incredible, mate. And it's only going to get worse. I think what's um, become increasingly apparent over the last few years is that clubs are relying on loan players to get out of the championship. We did it ourselves. We had kind of like five on loan. Um, if you look at kind of quite a lot of clubs across the championship now, they've got a similar amount. And obviously, as the rules change as you get into the Premier League, you've either kind of got two options. You kind of sign some of those players up um, if their parent clubs are prepared to let them go for presumably big checks, or you look at alternative players. And what that then means is that you are kind of almost starting the Premier League with a different squad to what got you promoted. And I think if clubs continue on that model, they're going to find it increasingly difficult to stay in the Premier League. Um, but yet they don't necessarily have the budgets to be able to compete in the Championship and bring in players that they want to do. So I think that that, that dynamic there and, and the rule around five loans in the Championship, but only two uh, in, in the Premier League and only allowing to have one from per club, um, whatever that's in play in the way it is, that's going to present quite a challenge for, for lots of clubs. I, I mean, I think it's a re- really, really interesting domestic, question. Domestic, isn't it? So the loan, two, two's domestic. I think you can have as many from abroad as you want, can't you? Because we, we got uh, Lursa on loan, Congolo was on loan at the same time, wasn't he, when we had one or two others. Um, memories fading slightly. Palmer had gone back by that point. Um, possibly, but I think you're allowed quite a few from abroad, but it's, it's, it's the... Um, Based in the UK, which is which is the the rule there. But uh, for me, I, I think I look at models which work. Uh, I know they've got a petrochemical billionaire, um, despite them trying to claim it's the most romantic story in football. But Bournemouth, uh, that what Bournemouth do is they sign players from the Championship, uh, British talent, uh, if you like, as well at sort of between the age of sort of twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. Like uh, Callum Grant. Yeah, like Callan Grant. So they look at players like that who are doing well in the division below, who are who might be ready to step up. And then if they can't step up and you go down, they'll hit the ground running when you go down, and then therefore you get a yo-yo effect. So I, you know, it, it depends how much money we would get at the time, and obviously it'd be less than most. Uh, but I would probably like us to try and cherry pick some of the the brighter talents from the championship. And Burnley have done a similar thing as well, uh, and which has which has stood them in good stead. So I think I'd like to see us be a bit more domestic or maybe put more eggs in the basket of an experienced player rather than trying to sign a load of projects who are sort of 21, 22 from abroad rather than, you know, tried and tested players in in, in our own country. But um, that's what we do. And, and Dev Wilcox has sent us a message as well about sort of succession planning for fullbacks as well. Um, Danny Simpson obviously out of contract at the end of the season. Would you keep him or would you maybe look to bring in someone like Dylan Crow, an up-and-coming right-back from Ipswich, or is anybody, or Denver Hume he mentions from Sunderland? Is there anybody that you've sort of seen at this sort of level who you look at and you think, hmm, I won't mind him um, if uh, if Danny doesn't doesn't stay on? I think in answer to your first question, I'd like to see Danny Simpson remain at the club next year and it wouldn't surprise me if in his existing contract there might be a number of kind of games that then triggers an extension. 
uh, and in the form he's showing right now and, and kind of fitness, etc., you would assume that he would be able to do that across the remainder of the season. Um, I quite like the lad at um, West Brom, to be honest, Furlong, Paul Furlong's son. Um, I think he might be a little bit kind of... Dan uh, Furlong, yeah, he's uh, he's not coming to us. Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of, you, you never know, Matt, you never know, but I can but dream. But, I mean, there's some talented right-backs out there. Uh, kind of the question being, obviously, we've got uh, D'Amico De Haney on our books. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, he's out on loan at Boston at the moment. Oh, that's I think, the only place he could go, kind of because of the rules only permitted to go to the National League um, outside of transfer windows. Uh, I think last season there was kind of uh, a lot thought of him, and arguably he was the succession plan. Whether or not he is, I guess, still remains to be seen. I, um, I, I, I'm I going to quote a, a player. I can't remember which player it is, but I think it might have been one of the fullbacks we had in the promotion season, either Smith or Lover, and they said uh, fullback is a young man's game. Uh, so Tommy Smith showed that a bit the other night. Perhaps. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Had a bit of a, a bit of a shocker, really. Uh, so with with that in mind, I think picking players out from the from the Premier League, uh, looking at young players at the Man Cities and Chelsea's is always a good place to start. You, you know, Wigan plucked Reese James out last year from from that Chelsea academy. Charlton have got Conor Gallagher this year from Chelsea's academy as well, who looks looks excellent. So I think there's always little gems to be had in in your fullback areas in Premier League academies because you tend to have less. You, you tend to have a sort of less pressure on you in a fullback position as as rather a sort of central position. So I think it's a, a fair shout to maybe look at some of your younger. It's players. definitely an option, but is, is there a school of thought that says kind of using one of your loan signings as a fullback is a bit of a waste? You kind of if if you're going to utilize the loan market, don't it you want somebody that's attacking be alone, positions? Yeah. Might not necessarily not, but but I guess. Um, Look, Reese James, like you said, a, a great season at Wigan last year, and has obviously gone on to push kind of now for the, for the Chelsea first team squad under Frank Lampard and mm-hmm. showing real promising signs. But I guess if you gave me the option of signing kind of a, an exciting attacking player, someone of the ilk of Ryan Brewster, for example, from Liverpool, um, who could score goals versus a right back or a left back, I would definitely take the former anyway. Okay, so we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on now to uh, one of our regulars. Now, Darren Bullock. It's the last penalty, and if he scores from this, they are through to the final. Huddersfield are there. Darren Bullock is the hero. In goes Robbins. Coming from the free kick, taken short to Brown, and Robbins making a dart across the face of the defenders, a perfect header. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life was the ending to the dramatic 94-95 season, which Cozzy's already looked back on rather favourably under uh, Neil Warnock. But first we'll start off in 1979-1980. This was the, the season where we got 100 goals and we were pushed all the way by a couple of teams to right to the end, but ended up with, with Huddersfield Town winning the league. So sorry if I've, I've ruined the ending for a few people there. But this this game, uh, the, the exact same game week, didn't go so well. Huddersfield Town went down to Northampton Town and lost 4-2. Uh, Dave Cowling was on the score sheet. Dave Cowling, a regular goal scorer. And uh, Bayat with an own goal in front of 3,210, which put which kept Huddersfield Town in second place. So we're going to consult the 
where are they now book? And we're going to have a role reversal. So Lee Morris's Where Are They Now book, which you can get in the club shop, Amazon Waterstones. Uh, worth it. Good read. Uh, so Malcolm Brown was a uh, very, very popular fullback in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, Simon, what can you tell us about Malcolm Brown? Yeah, I feel a lot of responsibility stepping in for Cos's shoes and, and doing this tonight. But yeah, uh, Malcolm Malley Brown, as you say, Brown originally signed from Bury in 1977 by Tom Johnston and became a cult hero at town. Uh, he forced his way into the first team at the expense of Alan Sweeney and made the place his own. It wasn't until Mick Buxton became manager that his talents were utilised fully. So Brown was part of the 1979-84 division winning side and also the 82-83 promotion winning side. He played 259 consecutive matches for town. Crikey, I don't think anyone would do that anymore, would they? Um, at any club. Uh, before getting a big money move to first division Newcastle United. Uh, however, a bad leg break there meant that he hardly got any game time uh, and he returned to Leeds Road in 1985, uh, sadly for him featured in the infamous 10-1 defeat at Man City in 87. Um, so Brown later left the club in 89 uh, after falling out of favour and stating that he didn't want to stay in the reserve side. Uh, Brown played for Rochdale twice and Stockport County before retiring from professional football in 1992. He's now a driving instructor in Droylsden, uh, running his own business, uh, MBM Driving School, if anyone out there is uh, in Droylsden and wanting to drive. Excellent. Cosy, you'll remember Malcolm Brown. Uh, he's sort of more your era than than Simon's, shall we say. Um, a bit better than Neil Parsley, I believe. <laughs> Just a bit. Um, yeah, they were my first <clears throat> memories of the like, town uh, team. My dad took me to Malcolm Brown, but absolute legend. Uddersfield uh, Town, I think, in the day, in modern day, you know, where fullbacks have got to, like, bomb forward and what have you, and, you know, do both jobs and that. So, I know Malcolm Brown was proper defensive you know, fall back really and that as well. Never let anyone down. And uh, yeah, it's uh, absolute legend really and that as well. And did it, does it say how many games he played for uh, town? I didn't quite hear that, uh, Simon. Do, how many games did he play for us? Uh, it doesn't say how many, but he had 259 consecutive games in his kind of first stint at the club. So uh, yeah. lots. Consecutive games. Incredible really and that as well. Geordie Guy and, and that as well, if I kind of remember and that. And uh yeah, Mick Buxton, uh, Aero. When you've got a guy, I mean, we think about the injuries and I suppose the game's different now with the speeds and what have you, but a guy who can play that many games and that as well. He'll always be remembered as a town legend. And even now, you know, what are we, 2019, 1980, 35, 30, 40 years ago now, you mentioned Malcolm Brown in bar in Uddersfield and uh, absolute, the word legend will be mentioned shortly after. So we'll go on to the 94-95 season. Uh, we had two games in a week. The first one was a, a home win against Wrexham where Darren Bullock and uh, Chris Billy scored in front of uh, 9,639. Huddersfield top of the league at this point on a bit of a winning run. I think it was around, I haven't got the results in front of me, but I think it was a 13-game unbeaten stretch. And then, Cosa, you'll remember this one. Uh, 5th of November, 1994. Remember, remember the 5th of November, bonfire night away at York City at Bootham Crescent and... Uh, one fan threw a firework in the face of Ian Dunn. I think you might remember that one. Or maybe not. There he is. Oops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Bit of a satellite uh, delay on that as well. But yeah, uh, incredible, uh, incredible time, really, in that promotion season. And uh, I think that's, that team under Warnock had so many characters, though, that. <laughs> if you think about what, what we had that that time, put them together, Richard Logan, Pat Scully, Caddy Clayton, God, we, were, we were kind of wheeling guys out, you know, left, right and centre and that as well. And I think, like, 
when we I think we signed uh, Lee Duxbury, Lee Sinton, didn't we, for like nearly half a million, and at that, that time that were like kind of big bucks and that as well. And uh, whoever we got, just proper, uh, you know, did a job and that as well. And uh, the game's totally moved on now. Whether you kind of get them bargains and then uh, do a job like that. I'll bring in Neil Warnock for you, and that's well the man, wasn't he? Mm. And one one person that was there who I think might have seen the ten one defeat to Man City, and he was the prominent right back in in this campaign as well. I think John Dyson had a few games, but the main right back was uh, Huddersfield Town. Uh, a good good follow on Twitter is uh, Simon Trevitt. So, what can you tell us about Simon Trevitt? Simon Trevitt, uh, guys. So obviously, kind of I live a city boy, me, and it's. Uh, He's always out and about at the local uh, new inn as well. Uh, proper uh, quality guy. <laughs> God, I should mention this, but do you remember the, uh, I think it was a video called Beyond the Touchline. I don't know if you guys remember it. I've got it upstairs. Rhys Dinsdale presents it, doesn't he? Is it that one? Yeah. Yep. But there was a moment where Simon Trevitt was in a bath, but God, uh, no answer to that. But pretty much Simon Trevitt was stark as that as well. This, we're going... Behind the scenes and proper behind the scenes and that as well. I, I still can't stop kind of laughing about it now, but but brilliant. I think the thing is with Simon Trevitt, like so many probably right backs will, will have had more pace, skill, what have you, but he never let anyone down. And uh, I was so chuffed that you know we managed to get promotion with kind of him and uh, him there. And one of the memories of Brentford away, ironically, we just mentioned Brentford the obviously great win on last Saturday, but with Simon Trevitt fist pumping towards that away and that as well. He was such a great guy and uh, he's such a great guy now. Obviously, got a couple of brothers who play like cricket and what have you, you know, local and... Uh, I've played football yeah, against Johnny I, uh, yeah. Massive fan, yeah. He's got uh, kind of a few, but yeah, Simon Trevitt, always brings a smile on my face because again, local lad, uh, up the road from me and uh, he lived the dream, man. He played at Wembley twice and uh, got a promotion with his fire uh, club. I'll tell you a little bit more about Simon Trevitt then, Cosy, although you sound like you know quite a bit to start with. Um, so Trevitt began his career at Leeds Road in 1984, turning professional in 1986, uh, and eventually becoming first-choice right-back in the first team. Uh, he played during the 91-92 failed promotion campaign and also played in the 1995 playoff final at Wembley, uh, which saw town game promotion. Um, Trevitt left the club in 1995, joined Hull City, where he remained until 1998, and he also played non-league football for Geisley. Um, he's now a postman, apparently, um, and lives in Liversidge uh, and has played for Liversidge Cricket Club, like you say. Um, uh, what's quite interesting start this final sentence, um, to note Trevitt was granted a testimonial in 1995, one of the last town players to be granted one. You don't see many players all get testimonials anymore, do you? It's no, kind of quite when, a rare thing. And when Nathan Clark did 10 years and then he didn't get one, so I was like, oh. But I think players get that much money these days that you know maybe they don't need it like they maybe have used to have done Potentially, yeah. I wonder how far Hogs, how far's Hog from a testimonial, do we know? 2013, is he? So four years, maybe. Okay. So, yeah, so he's probably as close as what we've had. Yeah, so Simon Trevitt. So if anybody is friends with Simon Trevitt, we'd love to have him on, on the podcast. We've asked him a few times before, but I think he's a bit nervous about what he might say <laughs> on there. So I think it'd be great if we could get Simon on here. So if you're friends with Simon, point him in our direction. It'd be fantastic to have on here. So yeah, so uh, Burger, I think, was his nickname. So I never really got to the bottom of why he was called Burger either. So maybe he can answer that question for us as well. Um, right, so that's uh, that's that. So we'll move on to, um, I know Neil's not here, but I think we could do with a little bit of... Uh... Hi, I'm Dean Hoyle, and you're entering The Danger Zone.
it's awful. Um, and I think that the Cowley brothers are going to be lined up to take over at West Ham at some point. I just think they need to get the experience under their belt first with some bigger clubs, hence the Huddersfield move. Yeah, but Steve, you can't. They've only just got their feet under the table there. Where... No, I think that was part part of the. I, I think that they, West Ham have had contact with them. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. West, West Ham have had contact with the Cowley brothers. Oh. Here we, we go. We got breaking news. Here we go. This will be the papers. Talk sport breaking news. Go on, Steve. Chat again. <laughs> I think contact's been made. Well, that's not what you said before. No, say, say it as you said it, Steve. Come on, Steve. <clears throat> West Ham have had contact with the Cowley brothers. Talk sport breaking news. Wow. I mean, I mean, just, they've just gone to a new club, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. No, but this has been in the pipeline for, for a long while. Talk sport breaking wow. news. Getting okay. tonight, everyone. Uh, roughly how long, Steve? Roughly. Till they're there at yeah, West Ham. Roughly, roughly. What are you giving it? What's the uh, time frame? Uh, how long till West Ham? Or? Yeah, yeah. How long till they yeah. leave Huddersfield and yeah. go to West Ham? Roughly. They'd probably need two or three years in a chance. Talk sport breaking news. It's a long time, mate. A lot can happen yeah, there. So, hold on. So, are you like, telling me not... that the board have have gone to them and said, in three years, we want you? Irrelevant of what happens between now and then? I, I think that's a conversation that's taken place, personally. Talk sport breaking news. <laughs> this is gold. This is, a, this is absolute <laughs> gold. Gold Sullivan, isn't it? Absolute gold. I mean, so what's going to happen afterwards? I mean, what, tell us what's going to happen with Pellegrini. How long is he going to be there, Pellegrini? Well, I don't know. He was obviously <clears throat> someone they brought in. To, to do a job and to try and take us forward a bit, and like yeah. I said, off the pitch, he has, has improved the club. Will he, will he be there and tip like for the next few years until the, the brothers take over, or will there be someone I, in between? The, I, I'm, I'm only surmising from what I've heard, but yeah. I think it was the plan was Pellegrini used to be at West Ham for two, three seasons, maybe, and then they come in. Right, so uh, three dangers, if you like, there on, on WAP Sport, so Cozzy's favourite radio station. Um, is, is Steve, the West Ham fan, saying that West Ham are uh, holding the Cowleys like a, a pair of puppets and, and uh, organising their career for them? So, uh, well done there, Steve. Embarrassing, really, that, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's been a lot said, haven't there, this week again about WAP Sport. Dennis Bergkamp was slated by... Uh, Adrian Durham. I think the worst thing about it to me is that I'm, I'm kind of sick of Premier, but Adrian Durham knows his stuff. He knows the inside out of every team to pretty much. He's like Jeff Stelling and Radio, in my opinion, but he just goes that way. And I am to think his paymaster's taking him that way and, you know, controversial comments and what have you and stuff like that as well. It's just embarrassing, really, and that as well. And uh, that guy, the trouble is with that, you're sure that you've got there with Cundy and. Uh, Goldstein, I've got a guy's name, Andy Goldstein. Is that? It's a night show. So people come out from the pub half cut and just coming up with rubbish like that as well. It's embarrassing, really. I mean, I'm kind of in, it's been a month, there's a lot of guys who kind of know who does the, the journalists, they do the hard yards, they go to the games, they know the stuff, but they, they feel kind of like Playing pretty good, really, because they don't get an opportunity they? because, yeah, because there's people like Danny Mills. It's almost like to, we're in this celebrity status now to me where. It's about, you know, who you are. I mean, I want Jeff Brazier on BT Sport. What the hell's that all about? He doesn't have a clue about football. It's uh, We're just in a weird way now at the moment where, to me, journalism has gone totally wrong. And, uh, yeah, to be honest, guys, you could probably put a similar interview every week. There'd be someone else ringing up with something. And now, for the time, you wonder, now, is that, I mean, could that have been a Millwall fan on there? You know, obviously West Ham and stuff. And 
I think that's the worst thing now. You listen to stuff or watch stuff. Can you take this stuff seriously? Is it really, honestly, a West Ham fan or honestly, a Millwall fan? But God, I'm embarrassing with that guy. It's, uh, I don't know what you will think, but... I think he's in the danger zone, is what we're going <laughs> to say. So, yeah, I think the whole station belongs in there anyway, but I think you're right on that one. But there are some very good journalists at TalkSport. It's just quite a shame that they have to... Uh, play a role if you like for uh, for viewership uh, well not viewers but uh, the listeners the, as well. trouble is, the trouble is the trouble is sorry Matt putting in there but can they be themselves though you, you saw like you know freedom of speech and what have you but if someone's in there I remember like there used to be a, a European football show on that as well you know real top quality journalists the guys that are on beach sport but they're no longer on it because it's just kind of shock jocks and if you're kind of saying stuff and then like the editor's pulling you out saying right you know, I didn't like what you said there and this, that and the other. And you're just going to have to be controversial on that as well. I know it's, well, I'm on a bit of a rant now, but like Radio 5, they had that great programme Sports Week on every Sunday morning, wow. Gary Richardson, nine o'clock. Proper journalism, one-on-one with a, I don't know, Eddie Jones character or whoever, and that's all it, but that's been binned because it's, to me, it's all about now. It's about shock and VAR and some guy ranting and what have you. I know we're going to mention it. It's probably the wrong topic, really, but it's depressing, really, because... Uh, there's a lot of good uh, stuff to discuss out there, but, you know, when there's people ringing up like that, just be pressing the off switch, man. I don't blame you. So we're, we've danger-zoned three people there. So what we'll do is uh, we'll, uh, we'll move on to uh, our next part as well, very, very quickly. Hi, I'm Phil Hodgkinson, and my favourite Huddersfield town goal is Chris Schindler's penalty at Wembley. Christopher Schindler. Has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! The fairy tale season has the happiest ending. So Phil's favourite moment is uh, is very poignant, so he took the chance to uh, name a podcast as well. So Cosy, where you are now, so we're going to turn Barcelona into Barcelona, and I realise I've done that joke twice in the same podcast and nobody's laughed, but you want to talk about VAR. Yeah, I just kind of want a discussion, guys, because obviously, no, back back there in England, has been kind of, and it's not it's not really kind of gone in well, has it? And uh, everybody some more it. issues again over the weekend, and kind of in Spain, it's in its second season, really. And, and when you go to the game, it's really weird because... So you don't get to see it on the TV. So I had a game on Sunday where I kind of sat with a family and the guy went to the bar and we were waiting around for, I'd say, a good three, four minutes. So I put my phone up because obviously it's behind on a delay. Got the Spanish football channel. We're all crowding around it. Like, was it handball? Was it not? And that's well. The, the referee went to the screen on the side of the pitch, which is what the, the, they're not advising them to do in, in England. And ultimately, they came up with the right decision. But I think there's so much... Uh, been said about it, especially back in England, it's not landed well. And yeah, again, there was a kind of game in Spain where I mean, I'm sticking up for the bar, but there was one where he got it totally wrong, and I just don't get it. I think it's it's obviously like that clear and obvious error, but the trouble is, it's been used now. I think for a lot of stuff that's not clear and obvious error. It's almost like the, the game's been dictated by you know things that are not. You know, it's like someone's play child, really, and that as well. And uh, it seems to be that, honestly, if it got dropped, I mean, I, I'm a fan of it, but if it got dropped, I don't think people would be too fussed about it going and that as well. It's getting more right than wrong, but at a stage, you know, you're stopping games for five, six minutes and you're not getting that time back. And they're, they're never adding that back on. And uh, 
Shall I tell you one I problem don't know. I've got? Every other country that's doing it, guys. Go on, sorry. One, one problem I've got with the way that we're doing it in England, and it's the fact that the referee is not making the decision. The referee... He's, he's in the game. He's in the moment. He knows what players are doing. He knows what how emotions are running on the pitch. He knows he knows everything that's going on. We've, we've done a, a podcast with Bobby Madley and he went into great detail about how he can judge what's going on in a game, whether someone's walking a tightrope, whether he's angry, whether he just needs to calm down and he has words. And the problem when somebody makes that decision detached from the game, I think you, you're getting incorrect decisions. And and some of the decisions, like the Liverpool offside, should be quite a straightforward decision to give. And there's arguments that, you know, the offside's wrong. And, and, and one of my my biggest problems with VAR since the start is that if the guy in the middle is an idiot, he's going to give the wrong decision. If the person in the VAR box is an idiot, he's going to give the wrong decision. And it just seems that we've got the wrong people in the wrong areas for me. I've got, I'm going to be quite forthright with my view. Um, I think it's destroying football. I think it's destroying football for the fans destroying football for uh, the players who are involved in the game. Kind of saw that the weekend, I'll mention that in a minute. Um, and it's just kind of uh, creating this negativity um, both in the ground, on social media, etc. It's really then the only talking point after a game. Um, so I'm kind of sure quite a lot of the listeners will be familiar with what happened at Everton. Um, obviously, it was a horrific injury to Andre Gomez and we wish him the very best with his recovery. But you've then got a farcical situation where Martin Atkinson... Um, probably rightly, has gone to give him a yellow card. Uh, then, I think, being instructed by the VAR to overturn that to a red card, uh, and now since been rescinded, and, and the likelihood is, perhaps, that, that actually Tottenham Hotspur would have hung on and got all three points had they not gone down to ten men for the latter part of the game. It was just a kind of farcical kind of series of events. Farcical. Farcical, that has kind of... Uh, I'm kind of I was quite anti-VAR to start with, but it's kind of, kind of cemented my opinion, really. For me, it's destroying football, and the sooner we can kind of either refine tweak, modify it, or preferably for me, bin it all together, the better. Go on, Cosy. I think Cosy likes my opinion and he's hung up. <laughs> he's, he's upset. So what, what would you say to that, Cosy? What are we doing wrong in the UK? Uh, well, England mainly in the Premier League to what Spain, for example, you watch a lot of Spanish football. What are they doing so right that England's doing so wrong? Is it the fact that the referee should, who's in the game should be using the monitor? The one thing that I, I just don't get is the, uh, you know, they've got this bonnet on the side of the pitch and it just seems to me, use it. I mean, the, I know they're, they're saying, you know, don't use it, but why not? You're not using all the tools of the trade. And to me, that that's what it's all about. It's getting the right decision. So it's really weird. I don't It's almost like that Premier League arrogance to me. It's like, you know, no, we're not going to the side. We're going to do it differently and, and as well. And ultimately it's all about, you know, getting the right decision. So I think it's just, it's not to me. It's not really bad. It's just how it's being used. And you go back to referee. Referee can have a look at the screen again. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit more time. But I think someone mentioned it the other day. It doesn't take that. What it added another twenty seconds. Things like that as well. It just seems to me a bit mad. I think the funniest thing about it to me, guys, is that do you remember when it was announced that it were happening? And said, "Oh, that's it. The, the guys in the pub. They're not going to be able to debate anything more. There'll be nothing more to debate." You know what? There's more to debate now because of that than there's ever been. Since it's coming, so all that you know, it's going to end the uh, you know kind of the arguments and that as well. It's just total nonsense. But uh, yeah, it's not perfect, and it was never going to be. But I just think people thought it was going to be perfect. You, you were always going to get the right decision, and more often than not, I think it is right. But it's I think some people are expecting the perfect system, and it's not going to be. But Premier League need to start using now that pit side monitor if they're really going to use it right. Otherwise, otherwise you just might as well bin it. And what Simon says there, I think a lot of people will 
maybe thinking that. I think the thing is, in in, in, Spain, in the second division this year has got the bar for the first time as well. I just think, you know, that, that's going to be nothing like ours. Obviously, we're in the Championship and what goes with that with it in the cost. So, to me, if it's good enough for the Premier League, which is debatable at the moment, then get it in, in the Championship. So, I can see it being in our league next year. And uh, But the thing is, when you're in the stadium, you've no idea what's going on. So, it's having to look at screens and you know, another game of the day where, you know, there are all the executive boxes behind. So you're looking in there, you're scrambling about, looking for a monitor, is it? And ball is, what what is he going for and that as well? And because you don't know half the time what it's going for. You, you can look, but it's now ball, is it a foul? So, yeah, I think it could be a lot better than that as well. But I honestly think it's here to stay. So I think there's been a few instances this season where I've maybe thought it would have been nice to have it, which would have been Diakabi when he went down, where he was pushed for the a potential penalty against Millwall and I think Grant was uh, Grant. was tripped. Goalkeeper's potential handball against um, Hull, was it? Yeah, there's been there's been one or two, but I think hasn't there, yeah. I think I've been happier with the flow of the game without it. I think we've I've had a feel I think we've only really had one VAR decision and that was against Manchester United in the FA Cup which benefited us, didn't it? Um but having said that, if we'd have had VAR last season we'd have probably taken something from Liverpool as well. So swings and roundabouts I guess with with what you get, but just to round up VAR, um, are you in favour of it next season, Simon, if it's tweaked for the Championship? Yes or no? Not in favour, no. But do I think it's inevitable? Probably. Um, yeah. So I, I think we will see it. Um, hopefully not in its current guys. Um, hopefully with lots of learnings from this year. But um, yeah, I think kind of they, they, they will have ambitions of rolling that out across the Championship, potentially League 1 and League 2 as well, um, just to kind of standardise kind of, uh, practices really. And Cosy, you'll be in favour then of uh, of pers- persisting and perfecting VAR. Yeah, definitely. Anything that gets the decision right, is, is, you know, more chance of getting it right is that, you know it's okay for me. I just can't understand why you watch you know rugby and cricket, who seems to have mastered it really well. I know rugby league's a bit debatable, but they they seem to be doing it a lot better than and footballers. I know it's a different game and a bit quicker, what have you, but they've got to learn. Football seems to be too arrogant to me. It's, We've got to learn from other sports and uh, do your own work. See what's working well for cricket because it's great, isn't it, when the referee talks or the umpire, sorry, talks through why he's not out or what have you, and everyone moves on. But and, and same in rugby union, but in, in football, it just seems to be a complete mess. Yeah, the TMO in rugby union is used pretty well, and rugby league as well for people on TV is used pretty well. Whereas VAR with football, you, you tend not to hear the, the person at the other end giving the re- rationale as to why. So you're still left sometimes a little bit perplexed. But what we'll do, we'll 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 go on and we'll finish uh, tonight's episode um, in a moment. O'Brien picks it up off a miscontrol by Njai. It falls to Bakuna, who releases Diakabi down the right, and suddenly Town are building a chance. Here's Bakuna arriving. Bakuna smashes it into the back of the net. Return pass by Diakabi. Jennifer Bakuna's broken. He's stuck for the season. Shortly after coming out of the sub. Oh boy, did he take his chance? It's stuck nil. So that was the uh, the win against Stoke there, which was uh, a good night. So we're hoping for a, a good evening on Saturday as well. So we're looking forward to uh, Deepdale. Um, the million-dollar question, and James Kettlewell has uh, tweeted us, and he said, uh, Jonathan Hogg obviously suspended, you know, totting up of yellow cards. Uh, who comes in for Hogg this weekend? Could he play Chalabar more back to his, his natural role, an opportunity to get Pritchard in at number 10 and move O'Brien back? Or um, maybe Chalabrin at six and Pritchard at ten and Bakuna loses out. 
other people have said, what about Stankovic? You know, the Stanker man, could we bring him back in front of the back four? I'll start with you, Simon. What would you what would you do with Jonathan Hogg? Because we're going to be forced into a change for the first time for a few games. Uh, so I think, um, for me, Shalabar moves to six. Um, so it's more like his natural position, probably a bit more what he's familiar with. Appreciate he plays in uh, central defence for England. Uh, and I think you kind of start with O'Brien and Bakuna kind of either side in the eight and ten role uh, and set up similar to how we did uh, away at Brentford. I think had we been uh, at home and perhaps against a weaker opposition, there would have been a call for, for Pritchard to be on there. Um, but I think kind of what I mentioned previously is, is the way it will go with Pritchard being the first option off the bench. Um, interestingly, I kind of saw that kind of... Um, we had a kind of behind close doors game uh, on Tuesday this week um, against Bradford, finished nil nil. Uh, and Stankovic has played in that, but centre half. So it feels for me like that Cowley see Stankovic being a centre half first and foremost. Um, and I think where we saw him um, as a sub, uh, kind of a few games ago, was really only kind of a response to the situation and, and a bit of an emergency, um, really. So, uh, so I think that's where we'll go. But it'd be interesting to see kind of what happens come Saturday. What I would probably do is, um, I, I would agree, I'd probably bring Chalobah in. I, I like Stankovic in that defensive midfield, but Chalobah's got the match fitness at the moment, hasn't he? He's, he's been in the side, he knows what the Cowleys expect. And I would probably play him in, in a 4-3-3. I think there might be a bit of a change from 4-2-3-1. I think it's just the way Preston play. They, they, they're a good side, Preston, underrated. I think Daniel Johnson might have a knock. He seemed to go off injured last week, so hopefully he's missing because he's, he's a talented player. Uh, what... Preston do is they play a lot of more diagonals as well. They have Jaden Stockley up front and tend to go a bit long sometimes as well. Um, so I think Chalaba back in, I think a switch to 4-3-3, but keeping the same same team there, but Chalaba. So a question I'll put to you then, Matt. So I've obviously spoke about Hog there. What about the left-back situation? So it looks like Jaden Brown took a knock um, at the weekend, sadly. I think I saw him in a protective boot towards the end of the game celebrating with the fans. So that leaves a question mark at left-back, assuming he's not fit. Couple of options I foresee. Kind of Hadjani actually did a good job, dare I say it, when he came on in, in that role. Um, potentially Congolo might make a reappearance uh, at left back. Um, and there's also kind of uh, maybe Hop, um, Herbert Bockhorn, who I know has been out injured, but did play midweek also. So a few options there. What would be your preference? I know I've not been the biggest fan of his, but I thought Flo Hadjani came on and did a, a solid job against Brentford, and I would I would I would keep with it. I'd put Flo to to left back. Um, I understand that he's uh, that. That flow at left back is is probably not everybody's his favourite cup of tea, if you like. But I thought he did a solid enough job. I'm not a fan of his in general. Uh, if Jaden Brown's fit, play him. If he's not, then I think uh, flow over uh, over anyone else. Because uh, Terence Congolo seems to have been training for a few weeks, but doesn't been on, appear been on the, the match grass, day squad. Been on the grass a long time. If you there's, kind of uh, take uh, Danny Cowley, yeah, there's something doesn't feel feel right there. And flow had is in the match day squad, so I'd I'd, I'd try and keep it as. I'm talking about match fitness, really, so I'll probably keep it with Flo. So, Cosy, you're back in the room. Uh, we're saying you lament our um, problems at Deepdale. Uh, we tend not to do very well there. What would you do? Uh, how do you see it going? Uh, you'll be watching it on iFollow. And uh, what would you do at, at sort of left-back and, and, and replacement of Jonathan Hogg as well? Well, big news to start this game. It's actually the game that's going to be alive uh, on the international feed, so... Not condoning any illegal streams and what have you, but uh, it'll be available to find if you can get it. And uh, is it on the what's it question on that? It's also it's going to be the main game on that. But uh, Preston away, obviously without Jonathan Og. Honestly, what a ground that is for us. I honestly, never have we ever got a result there. I remember one game, the girl in that is still staff up, missed two penalties. 
in that horrendous uh, Gola shirt. You remember that red and black? Uh, it's one of my first ever away games and it's not... on the plastic pitch when uh, yeah. Phil Robinson playing in tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> Phil Robinson, how bad were he? And how bad were last time when we went? If you'd have told us that that night, we, we were so poor when we got battered. And no couple of guys who live in Huddersfield who are Preston fans and they're going to some right stick after that. Uh, I think Naki Wells pulled one back. Did we lose 3 4 1 or something last time we played? We were so poor. Uh, but yeah, Jonathan Ong's going to be a big loss because if you're going to miss him in a game, this is not a game you want him to miss him. Do Preston and that as well? And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what we do in that as well. Do you put Stankovic in? It's a big ask, isn't it, to uh, kind of go with him the first kind of start of the season and that as well. But why not back ourselves, mate? We're full of confidence. Preston, uh, you know, they want to get back up there, you know, overtake uh, West Brom at the top now, isn't it? And uh, you know, to get there, they'll be thinking it's like nice three points against us, so why not? But again, it's one of those games, isn't it, that anything on Saturday, a draw will be greeted as a you know fantastic achievement and that as well. So I'd probably bring uh, Stankovic in for Hogg uh, and really similar tactics to Brentford, really just keep it tight, try and nick a goal. I don't think we're going to see much different than what we're seeing kind of last week and that as well. But, you know, 1,600 fans at Brentford, I'm sure we'll take more on that on Saturday and that as well. Uh, the Millbridge bus is going to Blackpool, can you believe, before the game? So they'll probably go with a bus of 53. But when it gets to Blackpool, I think there'll be about three that'll go at Preston and 50 will stay in Blackpool. So I don't know the idea with that, but it should be good fun on uh, Saturday for them. Uh, toughest task task yet, definitely under, under Cowley and that as well. And I'll see if any, any positive result, any draw or anything, it'll be a stunning result. Obviously, Alex Neil part of that statement in about staying at Preston I don't think Stoke is the right time for him but uh, yeah tough one to get a draw over the moon 1969 apparently the last time we won at Preston uh, apart from an auto glass uh, trophy penalty victory in 1993 I'm just having a quick look on 11v11.com and unless I've I've skimmed across uh, something more recent then it looks like um yeah, it's been a long time. In fact, that Autoglass Trophy win looked like it was actually at Huddersfield. So, uh, yeah, so it is a, a long, long time since we've we've beaten Preston at Deepdale, 1969. So not even uh, not even you were born then, Cosy. So that's that's a, a long time ago. Um, but yeah, so thank you for joining us from uh, from Barcelona. Uh, thank you, Simon, for coming in. Thank you to everybody who's who's been in touch with us on Twitter. You know, you guys, Cheers, guys. you guys make this work. Um, and thank you again to our, our sponsors, Magic Rock Brewing, and maybe we'll see you down there at the, the next home game, uh, which uh, uh, midweek game, I think I'll be down there, which is uh, Swansea, I think Swansea we play midweek, don't we? So, yep, thank you very much. Thank you for getting in touch, and uh, we'll be back again same time next week. Got a funny feeling
Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via muck delivery afterwards. Three points, nut nugget share box, spot on. Order muck delivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.